Welcome to episode 81 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Beneth Farrell. She is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel with 20 years of active duty service, and she graduated from West Point in 1997 and spent 10 years as a military police officer and 10 years as an information operations officer. We talked about her military experience, and then we also talked about what she's doing today and the benefits of mindfulness practices and what she has learned, and she talked about her book and how she's taking mindfulness to help military members. So it's another great episode, so let's get started. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Beneth, welcome to the show. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> I just, I love what you're doing, telling people's story because it really does need to be told. And I feel like you're taking a step towards bridging that gap between civilian population and the military population, which is just so important. Thank you. Yeah, it really is. So yeah, thank you. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? So I guess it was the summer before my senior year in high school, the United States Military Academy at West Point sent a brochure to the house. And my dad was like, that's a good school. You should apply. And I'm like, okay, if you say so, because I had no idea what it was. And so he made me apply because <laughs> I was like, it's too much work. I'm not doing that because you have to get the nomination and all that. And so I applied. And then when I got in, I thought, oh, I should really go. Like it was one of those moments where I I just knew that if I didn't go, I would regret it. It was like just an intuitive moment. And I did go. <laughs> and that was it. I had no idea what I was getting into. And everyone thought I was going to be like Private Benjamin because I was kind of really girly and just, you know, I didn't like getting dirty and I didn't really do a whole lot of physical activity. I mean, I played sports, but you know, so yeah, it was a shock. Do you have any like military background or did your dad just say, this is a good school, you should go there? Well, he was in, uh, he had enlisted in the Navy uh, during Vietnam, but just did like the first term enlistment. And then he was also in the Army National Guard uh, in Wisconsin. But other than that, no, we had no military background. My mother's from Afghanistan and none of her family was in the military prior to the wars starting uh, with the Russians invading, and then they just kind of had to fight. But there was no military background. So it was like the first, you know, person to really join the army. Right. Was it like complete culture shock when you went to West Point? My, my mom was definitely a disciplined person. And so I was used to discipline and following rules, but I didn't know how to do anything like to shine shoes to you had to shine brass like everything had to be in its place I didn't know how to fire a weapon I'd never really done any push-ups so it, it I was very thankful for all those prep school uh, prior uh, service people because they 
they really helped me, like just taught me how to do stuff. I didn't know how to do anything. It was just like, I'm surprised I even remember <laughs> anything from that first summer, that beast summer, because I was like in a fog, just, you know, like a fire hose taking everything in. So it was a culture shock for sure. And I kind of looked at it as a game, honestly, because that first morning they started playing Welcome to the Jungle, like Guns and Roses. And then they just started like banging on trash cans and like yelling at us. And I was like, okay, this is not real, but it was like surreal. And I'm like, but I can do this. Like, this is a game. Okay. They're going to be yelling at us. I can get through this. And I did not that it was easy at all. And in fact, it just, it got worse. The academic year was even harder <laughs> with all of the upperclassmen there and school. Yeah. I read Beyond the Point this year, which is a story written by a military child who interviewed a bunch of women who went to West Point. And so she talked about like, it's a novel, it's based on real events, but it's not like an actual real story. And she talked about West Point and like the years that they were at West Point. I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so much harder than I ever imagined it could be because of like, I just thought of like the B summer. And then I didn't realize like how they had to like square their corners and they had to like say different things, different upperclassmen. And like the whole first year was kind of like, it sounded like hell. <laughs> and then each year got a little bit better. It was actually, <laughs> it really, really was. It was very difficult because they're just trying to um, not screw up and like everything had to be like just announcing food at the table. And then, so we would learn how to announce stuff. But then one day we show up to lunch and there's soup and like, we've never done soup before. So now we don't know how to serve the soup or what to say, or we show up to the table and it's like closed. And that means we have to float and we don't, I don't even know what that means. And now I got to go find a place to sit somewhere else <laughs> in a completely different company. And these people I don't know, you know, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and so we were just learning how to adapt like moment by moment. And learning how to work together as a team to function, to complete, like, we had to deliver the laundry and the mail. But they had to be delivered together. So they had to be sorted. And then they had to be delivered together, but it had to be by class. So you had to do the, the senior, the first classman first, and on down. And you couldn't go into their room twice. So then if there was, like, a senior a rooming with a junior, you know, you just had to make sure that you didn't do that room. A lot of details. And having to figure it out. And so I really think that West Point helped me with my time management and organizational skills. And then just being adaptable because we had to learn to work with different types of people from all over the United States. And there were, you know, one of my friends, she had never seen a black person. So she had, she's in Montana, she showed up and now she has a black man in her squad. And so this was like a great opportunity for her to realize that we are all the same because now we're, we're both terrified. We don't know what's going to happen to us this summer. And even though we look different on the outside, we still have the same hopes and dreams of graduating, of doing well. And we still have the same fears of not knowing what's going to happen, not wanting to get yelled at. So we are at the core of what it means to be human when we do have the same feelings and emotions and wishes and dreams. Yeah. So it was, 
it was an it was an amazing experience, but it was also very difficult. So it did suck. So, is there any like memories from your time at West Point that like stand out that you still think about or remember from your time there? I think that, and it's not any one specific memory, but what stands out is just the camaraderie, like from my classmates, that then carried on to just after graduation. So I would go, and even if they were my classmates, but I didn't know them, when we found out we were the same class or we had even been to the, you know, just been to West Point, there's that instant bond. Okay, you've been through the same thing that I've been through. And, you know, we had that instant connection and it transpires across years. And because West Point just has those traditions where they do the Founders Day dinner. And, you know, I'm in Japan and we had a Founders Day dinner last year and it was the first one I'd been to in a long time, but it was just like the instant connection with, they weren't my classmates, but some of them were like in the seventies, <laughs> but there's that, that bond of the long gray line that goes across decades and centuries. And so, and these the people that I met during that first year and even beyond, like, are my closest friends, like closer than high school. And so that is really what I've, what I've taken away. Like, those are the memories. And there's, like, snippets of events that were both good and not so good that, you know, that I do remember. But overall, it was just the team building, the team bonding, the one-on-one connections, but also the group as a whole. It was really very special. and that my husband who went to the University of Miami, you know, he doesn't have that. And so that was one that, you know, we talked about that. He's like, that's something that only like academy grads have when it comes to the military and the college experience. Yeah. Cause you guys have an experience that the rest of us didn't go through. And so, and there's so many like commonalities that you can talk about that just like, you know, like one ROTC student and another ROTC student have totally different experiences sometimes. But if you're at West Point, there's only one West Point. So it's like everybody has the same. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's kind of like bonding through misery (laughs) that then you can laugh about later. I mean, the military tends to do that quite well. Yeah. yeah, that's a common theme. Yeah. So you were a military police officer. So I know that you guys pick your jobs. Is it your junior year or your senior year or something like that? Yeah, the branch night is senior year. Okay. And so, yeah, we put in for our top however many choices. And then it it's based on how many slots are open that year, but also on your class rank. I was able to get military police, which was my first choice, I believe. Yeah. So that worked out. And what made you want to do military police? We had like an introduction to the different branches, but I really honestly wasn't aware what all the different opportunities there are in the military. And so I thought I wanted to do something as close to combat as possible. And that was military police for me. I made that decision. And so that was why. It wasn't because I knew anything about the military police or any of the other branches. Like I couldn't do aviation because my eyesight wasn't good enough. That I was like, well, I'm going to do military police. But no, I didn't really do any research. What was your career like as being a military police officer? What did you do? Did you deploy? Yeah. So I, uh, my first assignment was Fort Hood, Texas. 
And that was 1998 by the time I got there. And so we deployed to Bosnia. That was still going on. We were in Bosnia for about six months. So, and I was a platoon leader. And yeah, I mean, it was just like the experience of leading a platoon of soldiers is amazing. And I'm so green, you know, we don't really know what the heck is going on, which is why they pair us with a senior NCO. And I learned so much from my platoon sergeant that when they either went on leave or like had to go somewhere and they were gone. And then I found out I, I actually had to do what they were doing. Oh my gosh, like that was insane. So my first maybe like three years as a platoon leader. And so we deployed to Bosnia. We went to the National Training Center. We did a lot of training. And then I went to the captain's career course. And then I commanded a garrison command at Fort Detrick, Maryland. So it was the U.S. Army Security Forces. And they provided security for Site R, which is alternate communication site. So that's where I was when 9-11 happened. And it's interesting because we were actually at the Pentagon on September 10th, like doing uh, work there. And the next day, you know, all hell broke loose. And so our mission was to, you know, secure the alternate site. So, you know, we did that. But I, you know, we weren't a deployable unit. I was there for about two years. And then I was deputy provost marshal at Fort Myer. And that's when I decided that I wanted to go to back to teach at West Point. And so I went to grad school, at the University of Maryland, and got a degree in physical geography and also had my son while I was in grad school. And he was premature about, he was born at 30 weeks. So oh, yeah, wow. he was in the NICU for six weeks. And that was obviously very stressful. And so I had like two weeks off really before I had to start school. And then I would I was in school and then going to the NICU every day. And thankfully my parents, this is in the DC area, my parents live in DC. So I had that support from family, but it was tough. It was really, really tough. And then going to West Point, my husband, so we spent the first four and a half years of our marriage apart because he's four year groups ahead of me. So it just didn't match up. Like he had to go to ILE and I was at grad school. So he was, he managed to get to Fort Troll, which is like six hours away from West. <laughs> but we were in the same state. And so he would commute down on the, the weekends, but then he deployed for 15 months, went to Iraq. And so this is like the genesis of my book, when I start my introduction for the military and mindful book, it was because during this time I was drowning. Like I was, you know, I was pregnant with my daughter and by myself and I'm trying to teach class. But, you know, my classes were like, I feel bad for any of the kids in my class. Some of them were terrible. Like I was literally like one question deep. Like if you ask the second or third question, I just simply wasn't prepared because I was like drowning and just trying to take care of myself and my kid. And so my my boss at the time, like she realized that I was struggling and you got to get a helper or an au pair or something. So I did get an au pair and that was really very helpful. It wasn't until uh, about 2008. That's when I found out about this yoga retreat at Omega in Rhinebeck, New York. My mom came up to help 
the au pair watch kids and I went there and I realized there that like I had a choice about how I could feel in some instances. Like I didn't always angry because I was angry. I was angry that my husband I was angry that everyone around me was so freaking happy. Like it was like I lived. It must be just like Mayberry because all the husbands are, you know, every, the husbands spouses they're all home because no one's deploying, and so like they were all happy, and I was like miserable by myself. And I just carried that anger with me and projected it onto other people, like displayed onto other people for being happy. But at that retreat, it was like the light bulb went on. Oh, I don't have to be angry, like. I can, just because things are happening around me, I get to choose how I react to them. And so, like, that started the, my mindful journey. 2008, I have a choice. So that was a really long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was the beginning. And then we moved to Fort Belvoir, and that's when I started the information operations part of my career. So my husband and I are now together for the first time in four and a half years. And so I thought everything's going to be fine, right? We're together now. <laughs> Perfect. And it wasn't <laughs> because we hadn't lived together for four and a half years. And I'd been used to being like the taskmaster of like the house. And so my husband didn't really know how to fit in. I mean, we're realizing this in hindsight. Like, obviously, we, I didn't know that at the time. Right. And so, and I didn't know how to fit in. And so I would, you know, I would order him around or, he would do less because I would allow him to do less. And then we just were fighting and unhappy and just insecure about our roles. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of personal development needed to happen. And it didn't start until I had to deploy. So I deployed back in 2011. And that's when we had to do a complete role reversal. Now he's home with it. And he realized, and I did too, that he is competent and do it but I wasn't there and so our confidence in each other began to increase and our communication increased so I mean he had gone to counseling to help him deal with things that were that he was going through and and I had gone to counseling too actually at the well back in Maryland in the NICU <laughs> so yeah so I definitely like the counseling Individual counseling helped, couples counseling helped, just to open, have communication. It's so important. Like, I know what I'm thinking, but I don't know what you're thinking. And our shouting at each other is not going to, you know, no one's wanting to listen to that. You know, like, right. listening is half the battle of communication. And if I'm being yelled at or I'm yelling at him, okay, he just shut down. And so just understanding that we needed like the active communication, the active listening was huge. And it, I didn't really understand that until I went to yoga teacher training in 2012. So after I took 30 days to go and do that, 30 days of leave, go and do that at Kripalu in Atlantic, Massachusetts. And so that was when I started to really understand what it meant to be in the present moment, like fully here, not having my mind think about something that I need to do in the future or drumming up something from the past that I need to let go. So my whole quality of life changed. And actually like listening to what people are saying. Because before I would just be like, well, they're boring me. And just stop. Stop listening. 
which is so rude. <laughs> then I would I would come back in maybe a minute or two later. Like, are they interested in anyone? No, so boring. Okay. And, you know, the, on a subconscious level, people can tell that they're not engaged. And it's it's definitely a turn-off. So from that 2008 all the way to 2012 and beyond, like, just a lot of personal growth and self-development. And I worked with life coaches just to become more aware. And it's not an easy process. Yeah, and it, it does take a lot of time. I think sometimes people don't realize how much time it takes to, like, learn and, like, relearn how to do things and just to be aware. And it's interesting that when you deployed, your husband had to take care of the kids because you weren't there. And then that gave you confidence in him and confidence in himself. And so it's kind of interesting that the deployment was actually kind of a good thing in some ways because it was able to help both of you. It was. Right. It was definitely important for us. And and for me, it was just I could let go of the reins, which I've been holding on to so tightly. Right trying to control everything and that's not possible and it's exhausting and I'm putting extra pressure on myself to try to control things that aren't in my control and I wasn't controlling the one thing that I can control which is my own behavior and my reaction to what's happening around me so I was able to well I was forced to just let go and now a word from our sponsor Are you thinking of planning a road trip this summer? Christopher Travel is excited to offer a 50% discount to the Women of the Military podcast followers on all its semi-custom and custom road trip itineraries, or opt for the basic pre-planned itinerary for just $5. Each itinerary includes the high level of detail for which Christopher Travel is known. These itineraries immerse you in the fun, quirky, and quintessential experiences of the Great American Road Trip. Wherever the road leads, you can just relax and enjoy the adventure because Christopher Travel has done all the planning for you. Visit them on the web to learn more. Go to christopher.travel slash women of the military podcast. And now let's get back to the show. And I think you also touched on like one of the really hard parts of being dual military. Like sometimes you can't be stationed together and it's not easy or like if you're stationed together but six hours apart (laughs) That's really hard to, like, come back together. Like, even my husband travels a lot for his job right now, and he'll be gone for, like, a week or two. And even just in that week or two, like, I'm able to, like, pick up all the slack to make it work. And then he comes back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're here now. And it's only been a week or two. And so then when you say, like, four and a half years of not having that would just make it even harder to integrate together. It was hard. Yeah. And we weren't prepared simply because we didn't know it was gonna, what it was going to be like. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a journey. I mean, marriage is a, a journey. And so there's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, hills and valleys and communication is what keeps you going. Like, just really listening to each other. But and it also like, knowing what I want and being able to communicate my own needs. Like I didn't even really know how to do that because I didn't know what I wanted or needed. I'd never asked myself. I'd never taken the time to really connect with me. And so like meditation and yoga allow me 
to do that. Because before I would just sort of be operating under assumptions of what other people think I should be doing. And so that's what I thought I should be doing, whether it's parents or like bosses or friends or society, you know, like the media. It wasn't really true to me because I'd never connected with it. Yeah. So that was 2012, right? When you went to the yoga retreat. And so you were in the military for about five more years after that. Well, 2012 was when I went to the yoga teacher training. And so then, yeah, I retired in 2017. So were you guys able to get stationed together for the rest of your time when you were on active duty? We were, thankfully. It did work out. So for Belvoir, from there, we went to Korea. And then we were, we were supposed to be in Korea for like two years. And my husband was activated off the alternate list to command a battalion. And so after six months, we had to move. And it was funny because the branch was like, no, she hasn't done her year, you know, in Korea. Like it felt like it took an act of Congress for them to move me too. They were literally just going to move my husband and leave me in Korea. We're like, this is crazy. So um, that was a challenge, just trying to get my commitment released. I'm like, I'm not trying to get out of the uh, army. We're just trying to, anyway, so we moved to Shaw Air Force Base with Army Central Command there. And from there, we went to Yokota Air Base in Japan. And that's where I retired out of. Okay. And that's where you guys are at right now? Well, we actually went to Carlisle Barracks for a year for the War College and then moved back to Japan. So now we're at Kamsama, Japan, and my husband's commanding the Japan Engineer District for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So what was it like to leave the military and become a military spouse? Yeah. (laughs) So I wasn't prepared for that at all. So I I was ready to retire because I was just not having as much fun in the military anymore. And so I was very, very happy to do that. But I had thought, you know, I wanted, I do want to be a stay at home mom. Like I wanted to spend time with the kids. But when I went to the transition assistance program, TAPS, it was like that wasn't one of the options. Like to get the paperwork <laughs> signed off on, I had to either do resumes and apply for jobs or apply for school or do a business. And so that actually tugged at my insecurity, which was underlying there that I can't just do nothing. Like I can't just get out and be a spouse. Like I have to be earning some money. I have to be contributing financially somehow. So I'm like, I'm going to start a business. So I went like balls to the walls and trying to start this travel business. Like, and I found these amazing people, like they were exactly what I needed for like life coaching, but not, I I eventually closed or stopped the travel business because I wasn't passionate about travel, but I thought that I would earn this money and then use it to bring mindfulness to the military. So I spun around for like a year trying to do this and then when I finally realized that this wasn't so I wasn't like a spouse right because I'm like oh I'm starting a business <laughs> and then I mean I still gosh, so when I finally stopped that now I'm like well now what you know and that's where it was like oh the book right so the book was going to be a book on mindful travel and I hired a coach to help me like structure the book not write it but structure it and then she had me do a meditation. 
And I realized, you know, a meditation about what my book was going to look like, envisioning my book finished. And so I realized it wasn't going to be about travel at all. It was going to be about my journey because I was passionate about bringing mindfulness practices to the military. But through all of that, like, I did not like the fact that I would, people didn't know who I was. Like I had it, not having the uniform on, there's not that instant recognition that I am serving. Uh, and so I'm just like a regular person now. And I don't even know what clothes to wear because I'm uncomfortable in regular clothes. Uh-huh. Like I've always worn this androgynous <laughs> uniform that hides the body. And now I'm wearing clothes that people can see me in. And it's like a dress or, you know, like I'd be uncomfortable. And I was kind of in a funk and not really knowing what was wrong until like I'd watched like all seven seasons or whatever of Sons of Anarchy in like, I don't know, like five weeks. Like just binge watching, depressing. That show gets very depressing, you know, and just it wasn't until I went to go for a walk and I put on hiking boots and I stood up after tying the boots, I felt stronger, I felt taller. I felt more confident. I felt powerful. And it was like, oh, boots. And it just like hit me. It was like, I miss the boots. I miss the uniform. Like that's what's going on here. Did not realize I had put so much of my identity into being a lieutenant colonel in the army. Like didn't realize it until it was gone. I mean, even, and it took a while, even then. Uh And so I was like, oh, I have to find like, I have to understand what the army represented for me. And now I have to find something else internally to fill this because this, you know, bucket, the army bucket is gone. <laughs> I need another one. And yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really a good way to put it, especially like when you put the boots on and then you were like felt taller and you were like, because I feel like a lot of veterans walk around lost because that bucket is empty and it used to be full and then they're like what do I do and like you said nobody really tells you they're like do a resume start a business do this do that they don't really tell you to figure out who you want to be yeah right who am I now that the military isn't here I mean I it's here but it's I'm not serving like in the military I mean I'm a soldier for life and I'm active in the military community, but I'm not active duty. And it's not the same. You know, I have the blue car, but I have the pink Mm -hmm. one. And, you know, I don't, it's so, and and I had to get over, like, there's nothing wrong with spouses. Like, that's insidious. I don't know where it comes from. But from the time I was a lieutenant, there was this culture that spouses are less than. And it's nonsense. And I don't know where it comes from, but it's it bothers me because spouses are in some ways like what's keeping the military together because they are the ones that are keeping the house together, which is hard to do while the service member is gone and they keep the community together and strong. And I didn't realize this really until I needed to rely on spouses to keep me together when I was at West Point. And they were the ones that came in, all these people that I was angry at for being so happy, they were the ones that came in and like brought me meals after I had my baby and were just like, you know, willing to take a child, but 
wasn't feeling well and couldn't go to the, the CDC. And just popping in to be like, are you okay? And that was when I started to have that mindset change. I was like, oh, it's not an us, them, like spouses and females in the military. That you know, it's We are on the same team of mm-hmm. you know, raising children that are going to be productive members of society and you know, keeping our homes happy and healthy. Like we're on the same team. And so I didn't, once I realized that, then I was like, okay, I can stop like doing this us them mentality. But then it came back again when now I was a spouse and I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, it, I, it was still there. That judgment was still there. And I, well, I had to come to terms with the fact that I was still judging. Yeah. I really struggle sometimes because I have that like inner conflict and I have to like figure out like what's bothering me because it isn't like an us them thing. But sometimes I would get frustrated at different like when military spouses and veterans get lumped together, I would always get really upset and not because I thought like military spouses didn't deserve to be recognized just because I felt like people would always assume I was a military spouse and not a veteran. And so I had to like, realize that my anger shouldn't be directed at military spouses because actually I talked to military spouses about it and they felt uncomfortable because they weren't veterans and they were so it was kind of interesting that like I had to like wrestle with like how I felt and not have it be an us them but to like bridge the gap together so that that we could grow and like learn from each other and yeah because You're right. Military spouses have to do so much, like so much sacrifice and so much holding the house together and all the things. And I don't think the military in general is as grateful. I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in Washington right now for military spouses, but I feel like they're finally like realizing like, hey, we couldn't function without these men and women who, you know, stay home and take care of the families. Yeah, I mean, they, these are strong people. And to be able, it's almost easier for the service member sometimes to deploy because they're like, I don't have to worry about any of that at home. It's being taken care of. And they focus mm-hmm. entirely on the job we have to do. And, you know, we can go to the gym and keep ourselves fit. And we've got food being made for us. And, you know, I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't out like patrolling, so I didn't have to do any of that like really dangerous stuff. I can't comment on that part of a deployment, but I do know that for me, I was like free <laughs> because I did not have to worry about these little munchkins that constantly need attention. I only had to take care of myself and it was liberating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, like military spouses can be really alone in how they feel. And when I was deployed, I was deployed with a bunch of people who were going through the exact same thing that I was. And like you said, when you were at West Point and all these military spouses were there and their husbands were home and you were like the only one. And I think that part is really challenging to be the only one and to not have that support group that you get when you deploy because you're deployed with other people and they're all going through the same thing. Yeah, you're right. And I was afraid to reach out and ask for help because that meant that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't strong enough, Uh that I couldn't do it on my own. And so I didn't. I mean, like God had to bring me to my knees. (laughs) 
at, you know, until I reached out for help because I could not do it. But otherwise I wouldn't, I wasn't going to ask. Like, you know, my parents read this book and they were like, you didn't tell us this. We had no idea. And like, they're trying not to cry. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I thought, you know, like, they're like, you were going through this all by yourself. So yeah. And that's been the hardest. That was one of the hardest things was learning to ask for help. I mean, because that vulnerability, uh, a lot of times is really scary to do because you have to show that and let other people in and they know that you can't do it all on your own. And sometimes you just don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Asking for help is really hard. What I try and do when I like am in a place where I need help is I think of like how I would respond if someone came to me and needed help. And then I'm like, well, of course I would say yes. So why am I like beating myself up? I would give them a lot more grace and bend over backwards to help them instead of like me being like, I can do it. I can do it all and making my life harder than it needs to be. And that's so true because we're our toughest critic, right? And I had a boss and, and he was like, by not asking, you're taking away my opportunity to say yes or no. Like uh-huh. choosing for me, you're choosing no for me. And it's like, who's to say that they're going to say no? Or they, well, they could say no and direct you towards somebody else who might say yes. I mean, or they could say yes. I mean, but you'll never know if you don't ask. And it was just getting over that fear. Yeah. But it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So was there any part of your military story that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Oh, I think that we, yeah, we have. I mean, the transition, you know, like you had gone through the four stages of grief. And so the healing part, it's important. Like all of them are important. But just like getting to the other side and starting the mm-hmm. healing is where I'm at now. And now that I'm in that space, I can help others yeah. and that's what I've been moving towards doing I uh I recently did a workshop with U.S. Army Corps of Engineers South Pacific Division in San Francisco and so it was a workshop on my book and I taught them some breathing exercises some meditation practices some yoga exercises they can do on their own and then we did have a discussion about my book and just like sharing my story I didn't realize how much that was actually going to help them. And I got such positive feedback from across the different areas, from like the people that have young kids and are dealing with that aspect of it to the people that are looking towards retirement and are like having anxiety about transitioning out. And so it was one of the best experiences I've I've had. And it was just so grateful to be able to to go and do that. Yeah. And yeah, you're talking about, I did episode 47, which is about, mourning the loss of my military service and I went through how I went through the four stages of grief and the final stage is healing and like giving back and I think that I mean the podcast that's what podcast is for me my last question is what would you tell girls considering joining the military you're not alone so you don't have to do it alone in fact, you're, you're never alone. There's always somebody who is either going through a similar experience or has gone through a similar experience. And so really to seek out and find those people. I didn't do that. I didn't find mentors. I just sort of made the assumption that all of the women that had gone before me were overly masculine or just like too girly. And so I just didn't take the time to really reach out to anyone. 
And so I think that is so important, like finding people that you can talk to so that when you have those tough times, you know that you're not alone, that they can share a similar experience um, and give you some guidance. And also, you know, it makes it easier to ask for help if you you have someone, a mentor. It's so important for women. And they can be men too. And they don't necessarily have to, like, if you're an officer, the mentor doesn't have to be an officer. It could also be an NCO. And it could be someone that's not even in the military, but in a different space. But just someone that you trust that you can go to so that you're not alone because it's going to get tough. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, life is going to throw you something that you're not going to be prepared for. And that's when you have to rely on those people that you've chosen and you've selected to help you through. Yeah. And mentorship has been one of the most rewarding things that I've gotten to do in the past few years, just talking to women who are either looking to join the military or are looking and considering getting out of the military. And so if you're looking to join the military and you are looking for a mentor, I know that I can find a female veteran who would be willing to talk to you because all I have to do is put it on LinkedIn. And then I get all these requests from women Mm -hmm. who want to connect with young women. So yeah, I think that's a great way for veterans to give back to the military community. If we can partner up with young women who are either looking to serve or are currently serving and just need a mentor. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed getting to hear a little bit about what West Point was like and your time in the military. And I'm excited to learn more about mindfulness and meditation. My mom has really been telling me how much I need to do it and it keeps popping up everywhere. So I'm really glad we got to connect. Yeah, definitely. And you know, meditation, it doesn't have to be serious. Like it really doesn't. Like it could just be two minutes of deep breathing. And that is enough to activate the parasympathetic nervous system and calm the body down. But, you know, people that are just starting, I'm like, you don't have to sit cross-legged for 20 minutes. <laughs> like that's not, that wouldn't even be possible for me. Like it wouldn't have been. Like some days it's not. I'm like, okay, I can do two minutes. And then, uh, yeah, just like two minutes of breathing and know that your mind is going to wander. Like that's normal. The mind is alive. We are alive and it's going to go. It's like a puppy. <laughs> totally distracted and when you notice it you know you just bring your attention back to the breath and that's the training of the mind bringing it back again and again (laughs) it's never ending yeah (laughs) well thank you so much oh thank you thank you for listening to this episode of women of the military Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.